word of our Lord from Paul's epistle to the Romans. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace, this grace in which we stand. And therefore we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory even in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds. We pray that you would enable us through your word to hear from you this morning and to respond appropriately. We pray in your son's name. Amen. We're in the middle of a three-part series on what are known as the theological virtues of the New Testament, namely faith, hope, and love. Last week, we discussed faith, true faith, and I quite audaciously defended biblical faith or Christian faith as being rooted in truth with a capital T. This claim is audacious because truth itself as an idea or principle has become ever increasingly unpopular in our culture for the last half century or more. We don't want to talk about truth. We want to talk about truths. What's true for you and what's true for me and kind of what gives our life value or meaning. Even still, the Christian faith insists that it is indeed rooted in and built upon the biblical claims which it claims to be historically and verifiably true. Not true if you want it to be true, but true. Put simply, our faith rests upon historical fact. What's more, this is the claim that underlines, underlies all of Scripture, that the eternal God, the creator of the universe and all things within it, that he has entered into real time and real space and has made himself known to us through real people and real events. If you missed last week's sermon, please consider, as David encouraged you, listening to it through our podcast sometime this week. This morning, let's turn our attention to what the New Testament calls hope. Much like we did last week concerning faith, I want to be sure to connect hope with revealed truth, historical truth. For contrary to popular misconception, hope is not merely wishful thinking. Like true faith, true hope is rooted in and built upon truth. Not myth, not fantasy, not escapist sentimentality, 
Not even pious wishfulness, no matter how sincere it might be. After all, to be sincerely mistaken is still to be mistaken nonetheless. But true hope, biblical hope, Christian hope is not mistaken, but rather is taken from real truth revealed in what we often refer to as the real world. You know, not the real world of MTV, but the real world out there, outside these doors. The world we encounter in our neighborhoods and at our schools, at our jobs. The real world of time that is real and space that is real. The real world that is inhabited by people who are real. Who have problems that are real. Who have hang-ups that are real. Who have fears that are real. And who have troubles that are real. And boy, in case you haven't noticed, this real world really is filled with real troubles. And I'm getting really tired of saying the word real. Really, I am. Interestingly, Paul, in his epistle to the Romans, connects Christian hope with Christian suffering. Or troubles, you might say. In fact, you very well might be able to imagine Jesus' words, which Paul no doubt received from the testimony of the disciples, lurking back in, in, the, in Paul's mind when he connects hope with trouble. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In other words, yes, you will most likely suffer. Nevertheless, put your hope in me. You can count on me. In yet other words, in fact, the words of Paul that he uses here, because of the grace of God and our faith which we have in Him, we can have true hope. Because God is forming His character in us. And He has enabled us to persevere even in the midst of tribulations. Even in the midst of trouble. Therefore, Paul concludes, we can find glory even in our tribulations. Because of our confident hope in Jesus. We can be sure that hope, true hope, in Paul's mind, and I should add, in the minds of all of the biblical authors, God, of course, inspiring them all. True hope is not wishfully thinking about what is not, though we would like for it to be. No, true hope is something far better. It is something far more helpful. So what is this true hope? If it's not what most people assume it to be, then what is it really? Biblical hope is a confident assurance concerning the future based upon the faithfulness of God in the past. Like faith, hope looks to the past for its source and its foundation. It does not ignore the past. It does not forget about the past. It does not assume that the past only concerns its inhabitants and therefore has little, if anything, to do with us. Instead, hope 
which we typically only associate with the future, is greatly dependent upon the past. We rightly associate hope with the future, for after all, if it does anything, hope tells us that the future is going to be all right. It'll be good. It's going to be okay. It'll all come out in the wash, it tells us. Or as Jim Croce promised us, tomorrow's going to be a brighter day. But we're mistaken if we associate hope only with the future. For true hope is dependent upon what we know concerning the past. The future remains unknown, but the past is firm and fixed. It is certain. If the past is only filled with misery and disappointment, pain and insecurity, then what reason do we have for hope concerning the future? Aren't we just fooling ourselves and assuming that things will just get better if they haven't been good so far? I'm afraid we are. But fortunately, true hope doesn't neglect the past. It rests upon it. For it is indeed in the past that God has proven himself always to be faithful to us. It is in the past that he has declared himself to be the great origin of the great Latin phrase, Semper Fidelis. That's right, the Marine Corps borrowed the idea of their motto from God, the eternal one, the unchanging one, the always faithful and never abandoning one, the one who never fails us. Semper Fi, live or die. Jesus told his disciples, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. We live in what seems to be a pretty, pretty hopeless times. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum or within the political prism, if you'd prefer to see it that way, if you've turned on the news at all in recent months, you're probably growing convinced that the world and its end is drawing near. Life as you see it might seem to be falling apart. The whole world seems to have just gone plain crazy. And things seem to be rapidly spinning out of control. Perhaps you aren't so concerned about politics, but which unfortunately we seem unable to avoid. But rather, you're really concerned for our culture, which is radically changing in less time than we seem to be able to catch our own breath. Perhaps your hopelessness is not really related to these matters, at all, but actually touches closer to home. Family drama. Financial stress. Physical ailments. Future uncertainties. We all need hope. Regardless of where we are in life, we need real hope. True hope. But where is the hope? You've heard me quote Chuck Colson before. He offered a bold answer to this question. He asked, where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. 
That's where our hope is in this country, and that's where our hope is in this life. But what does it mean to put our hope in God? What does that even look like? Really, here in the real world, surrounded by all of our real troubles, what does it mean to have true hope in God? Quite simply, putting our hope in God means what the gospel hymn writer called standing on the promises. To put our hope in the Lord is to have confident assurance that He will be true to His word. That He will make good on His promises to us. His record of faithfulness in the past is the basis of this confident hope. The boy whose father swore to be at his most recent baseball game but forgot to show up has little, if any, reason for hope that his dad will make it to the next game. But God promised to be at our last game. And you know what? He was there. Not only that, he was cheering us on. And you know, he was also there when we struck out. He was there when we failed miserably. He was there when we lost the game. He was there when we felt humiliated in defeat. He was there when we felt helpless and small and like the weight of it all was all on us. He was there. He's always there. Sure, there are times in this life when we don't sense His presence like we have at other times. Sometimes we might even hear our own voices crying out with a psalmist, Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Don't you see what's happening? And if so, don't you care? But God is right there. Always. He hasn't forsaken us. He does see what's happening. And He does care. And sometimes, just remembering that is enough. With the psalmist, we can also say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Trust in God. Put your hope in Him. Why? Because He's never failed you. He's always been faithful. And His promises to you are great. And they are certain. And so when hope seems lost, helpful reminders are good for us. When troubles abound, it's good to camp out in the Scriptures on a more regular basis. It's good to spend more time in prayer. It's good to not forsake the assembling of ourselves as the author of Hebrews encouraged us. And as the other gospel hymn writer reminded us, it's good to count your blessings and even name them one by one. That's right, it helps to count your blessings and see what God has done. And so pushing the matter of hope a bit further, in this world of troubles, we should live as we say, as if we say, how should we live if we say that we have hope in God? How do we live then if that's our claim? How do we live if we say our hope is in Him? 
The scriptures are quite plain when they tell us that to live with hope is to live free from despair. We do not lose heart, the Apostle Paul dared to say, though we are hard-pressed on every side, though we are perplexed, though we are persecuted, though we are struck down, even if we carry about in our bodies the very dying of Jesus, and even if we find ourselves daily given over to death for His sake, even still we despair not. For we personally know the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And we know that He is good and that He is good for His promises that He's made to us. We are the objects of His love. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus encouraged His disciples just before His arrest. Fear not, though you walk through the fires, the prophet Isaiah defiantly cheered. As the psalmist sang out, and as we sang earlier in worship, whom shall I fear? But this is all negative, so to speak. Only really addressing what's avoided because of our hope in Christ. Sure, we reject despondency and despair, but it's... But isn't there more to living with true hope? Sure there is. Perhaps the more pressing concern is the positive side of hope. What do we embrace because of our hope in Christ? We embrace what is to come. We embrace the kingdom of God. Or as it's sometimes called, the kingdom of heaven. Only people with true hope can really pray, Thy kingdom come. We live as pilgrims in this world of troubles. And yet, even as pilgrims passing through, we find that we are greatly invested in this world of troubles. For this is God's world, where He promises to one day establish His kingdom. There's another positive element to this hope. Not only do we embrace that which is to come, but we also embrace our responsibility for striving toward that which is to come. We work ourselves toward the kingdom. We strive toward God's kingdom when we share meals and celebrate birthdays with kids who have no family to cook for them or tuck them into bed at night. That's where we declare the kingdom of God. Through acts of love. We strive toward the kingdom when we show others the real, faithful, holy, and transforming love of Jesus. In doing so, we also direct the eyes of the world toward what could be. Thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. We may not be able to fix all of the political problems that we have. We may not be able to fix what we see on the nightly news. 
we might ought to turn it off. I don't know. We may not be able to fix what's happening throughout our state, throughout our nation, throughout the world. But we can be there in the midst of brokenness and hurt for our neighbor. And that's really our only calling. Our calling is not to fix Washington, D.C. Our calling is to fix what is happening off of Antioch Road in Powder Springs. Our calling is to fix what's happening off of Hamilton in Kennesaw. Our calling is to be there for those who are hurting, who God has placed in our lives. It's not that we ignore politics. It's not that we ignore culture. It's that we realize you can't fix it until you start addressing the small things, the everyday things, the real world things. It is about being kingdom people. Living as citizens of God's great kingdom that is coming. Interestingly, Holy Communion serves as a fitting reminder of the nature of hope. Because at the table, we are reminded of Christ's great passion in our behalf. His death and His resurrection to save that which was lost. Invited to this holy meal, we are invited to remember Jesus' work of redemption in our behalf. At the table, we also remember that Jesus told His disciples that He would not partake of such again until He does so at the very end with all of His saints. Invited to this holy meal, we are also invited to celebrate that great day when our faith will give way to sight, when our hope will be realized, and when true love will still remain. As the band comes to play our our song of devotion as we prepare to respond to God and as we prepare to gather at the table. I want to invite you to bow with me and consider, Lord, is there something I need to nail down in my life right now before I approach this meal? Lord, is there despair in my heart that needs to be surrendered to you? Lord, is there a, a, a need for hope within me that I could 
turn toward you and say, Oh Lord of mercy, give me your hope, true hope, hope that is fixed in reality. Lord, fill us with your hope. Hope that won't disappoint. Hope that won't falter. But hope that is rooted in your character. Give us hope, Lord, in the midst of our troubles. And make us to be people who share that hope with those who are hopeless. In Christ's name, amen.